I'm very glad to have as our guest uh, today Donna Bird, who is someone who has taken the graduate degree she got from uh, the Fuqua School at Duke University uh, and become first a, uh, a marketer and a salesperson at Procter & Gamble and uh, at Coke and then applied those marketing principles to um, to several enterprises. The one we're focusing on today is the one she's principally involved with right now, The Root, which is a, a website, a web magazine, I guess is the right way to frame it, uh, that is aimed at an American, African-American audience that is a commercial but also a community-building enterprise and uses the skills and the knowledge that, uh, that Donna got while she was at Fuqua and at Procter & Gamble and at Coke especially to, uh, to take an idea and make it something that is a community building venture as well as a business. Um, she was going to explain, I hope, uh, how you do that. I, I was telling her about how the, uh, the culture of the Kennedy School is of uh, people who want to change the world and one of the things they all recognize these days is the need for digital technology in order to do that in various and sundry ways. This is, I think, a model of a genuine success. Thank Donna. you. Thank you very much. It is a pleasure to be here. I was just explaining that I love Cambridge. Um, however, it's a little bit chilly <laughs> these days. Um, I actually have a brother that's at the Sloan School at MIT, and I have a young cousin who's a freshman here at Harvard. So whenever I get, uh, get up to this area, I love just going around and seeing this lovely school as well as um, just going around Cambridge. And typically, they usually ask me to write a check for pocket money. I'm just always pleased that it's not tuition. So um, um, I'd love to take a few moments today to talk a little bit about the root, sort of how we came into being and um, how we've grown our community online. Um, this will be very informal. If you have any comments, you can feel free to interrupt me at any point. You feel, um, I'm please, please do so. Um, and I love telling the story about how the root sort of came into being. It is the brainchild, actually, of Don Graham, who's the chairman of the Washington Post Company and Henry Louis Gates, who of course is a professor here at, at, uh, at Harvard. And uh, the two of them were sitting down and they were actually talking about what was going on in the African American media space. And they began to look at, this is in 2007, and they began to look at the African American media space and they realized at the time all of the, all of the <coughs> properties online were focused on gossip and entertainment. The exceptions were Black Enterprise, um, which was business, but they didn't have a strong online presence, and Essence, which was focused on women, same thing, they didn't have a very strong online presence. So they said, you know what, there's a, a great opportunity here for us to create a site that focuses on sort of news and commentary um, from an African American's perspective and make it really smart and make it witty. And, um, and so a few months later, in January of 2008, The Root was born. Now, one of the most important things to recognize is the timing of the launch for The Root. Um, we launched in January 2008, and if you sort of go back into your mind and sort of think about that time, um, there was this then-Senator Obama who was gaining momentum in the primaries. Um, he was in the process of raising $32 million, uh, the most ever raised in one month by anybody in a campaign, uh, <coughs> a primary race before. 
Um, the country had just heard the Yes We Can slogan for the very first time. And this very impressive biracial candidate with brown skin and a black wife um, was weeks away from winning Super Tuesday. And on, on the scene um, came the route. And what was interesting about that time is that the general media was scrambling. They absolutely did not know what to do, namely because their go-to people, the people that they had on speed dial, were primarily Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton. And they may have had somewhere on the phone Tavis Smiley's number. So they had these go-to people, but none of them were outwardly supporting um, Obama. In fact, both Jesse Jackson and, um, and Tavis Smiley were vocal supporters of Hillary Clinton at the time. And, um, and Al Sharpton wasn't quite clear on who he was supporting, at least vocally at that time. So the general media was scrambling to find new voices. They were, very, they were extremely excited about finding sort of young, fresh African-American faces and, vo and perspectives and engaging those individuals on their news programs. So um, the route burst onto the scene right at that time, and every single day we were introducing sort of smart, thoughtful writers to the mainstream discourse. Um, out of the gate, we tackled generational divide issues that existed in the African-American community with pieces such as Step Aside by Val uh, Marjorie Valbrun, uh, where she discussed the possible marginalization of the civil rights leaders as a new wave of black leadership was rushed on the political scene. Um, she also, we also made our, leaders, our readers sorry, laugh and cheer and comment and comment and comment again when we launched a piece by Melissa Harris Lacewell, the talented um, professor who wrote a piece for us called Who Died and Made Tavis King. <laughs> and when we, and we launched this article, what happened was all of a sudden people said, wait a minute, there's something new going on here. This site is, is not, uh, they're unapologetic, they're bold, they're going to take on these issues in the community, and they're doing it in a way that's sort of smart and witty and somewhat refreshing. So we continue to challenge our readers. We had a piece by Kai Wright entitled Colorblind America that, was, that went, uh, just sort of had this life of its own around the web. Um, he stated in the, in the piece, to reach the future that Obama envisions, he must ultimately reject the racial exceptionalism he has been granted. If he does not, he will stand as the crowning achievement of a colorblind America in which the success of a few obscures the degradation, degradation sorry, of millions and lets everyone off the hook in creating equality. And when we launched that piece, all of a sudden people started saying, goodness, something really is going on here. And our writers started being picked up by Fox News, by MSNBC, by CNN. And it was just this wonderful time for um, for sort of young, black, fresh voices in this space, and it was a great time for The Root. Um, every day we had the pleasure of providing a platform for the leading minds and emerging voices of our community, and they quickly became sort of the souls of our site, and they became the go-to people for many of this sort of general media. Um, because we filled this different perspective, we offered a different perspective, we filled a gap in what was the general media as well as the African-American media, and we experienced a media auric rise. Um, our views pieces were regularly referenced and linked to by regular publications. Our writers and editors were regularly invited to appear on cable and news programs to offer per perspectives on hot topics, and the root stories were linked to throughout the blogosphere. A piece by Marjorie, Ma uh, Marjorie Valbrun uh, on the Farrakhan litmus test generated comments ranging from M NPR to the Jerusalem Post.
And Melissa Harris Lace will again had a piece um, likening Jeremiah Wright to the biblical feature Jonah, which, re re uh, which drew requests from outlets such as CNN and Bill Maher. And Gary Dauphin's, Dauphin's um, hipster analysis of the Obama-inspired Obama viral videos brought high-level social-cultural commentary to the black blogosphere. Not only did The Root have an opportunity to, to push voices out, we also had an opportunity to draw uh, voices in. When members of the Congressional Black Caucus were fretting pr privately about how to align and realign themselves behind the Democratic candidates, Representative Stephanie Tubbs-Jones of Ohio, who had kept mum even with the press in her hometown of Cleveland, chose the route to explain why she was sticking with Hillary. And that was the name of this, the piece that she did for us. Literary giant Alice Walker chose the route to publish an open letter on feminism and her support of Obama. Paul Devlin, a, gra a graduate student in New York and a regular reader, drew laughs and clicks with his open letter to Michelle, begging her to allow her husband to have a cigarette. <laughs> so the root was in the right place at the right time with the right voices. And we, again, experienced just incredible growth during that year. What was interesting is once Obama won, I was frequently asked um, by, by folks around whether or not we still needed the root. It was quite interesting to me, namely because they were asking because they saw Obama's election as an indication that our country had re reached sort of this post-racial point. And they were often asking because they were unaware of the overwhelming lack of diversity that existed in the press. The National Association for Broadcast Journalists, uh, uh, sorry, for black, black Journalists recently reported out of 815 <coughs> executive producers, assignment managers, managing editors, assistant news directors, news directors, and general managers at ABC, CBS, Cox, Fox, Gannett, Hearst, Media, Meredith, NBC, and Tribune, 713 of them are white, 64 are African American, 24 are Hispanic, 13 are Latino, and one is Native American. The management team at 82 of these stations are entirely white. And what I know and what I'm sure that most of you in this room know is that the lack of diversity has implications on how and what news is covered. Niche sites such as The Root allow broader and often different perspectives to surface to the mainstream dialogue. They challenge readers to often think and reassess about how they look at particular issues. And they provide communities where people can engage with one another. Most of these sites have, per, uh, most of the sites that are niche focused, focused on, do you all say niche or niche? Oh, it depends on where I am, but how I say that word. So we'll say, we'll say niche for here. Niche audiences um, primarily um, have, are, are the ones that have experienced significant growth over the last number, a couple of years. Year over year growth is primarily seen in these, in these sites that focus on site, uh, um, issues related to ethnic minorities, LBGT, uh, LBGT communities, uh, women's issues, uh, so forth and so on. So finding a niche, find, or finding a voice that is unique in the market has, significant, uh, has a significant opportunity for you to actually grow your audience. One of the things that we've seen with The Root um, over the last couple of years, and I see this is flashing in the background, is that um, we have to consistently provide co uh, a material uh, repeatedly during the day, so numerous times a day, to actually engage our readers. If we just have one piece, 
it is rare that one piece sort of galvanizes um, an entire community. You have to have a plethora of, of, um, of pieces that are being produced regularly throughout the day. So we've seen when we have our tra when our traffic is just um, one or two pieces per day, our traffic goes down. When we're producing something to the tune of sort of five to ten pieces per day, we see a significant boost in our traffic. That sort of it sort of makes sense that those pieces would sort of begin to have a life of their own. We've seen in the last couple of uh, last year <coughs> specifically since <coughs> Facebook has um, increased its social media tools. We've seen a significant increase in the amount of traffic that we're getting from social media outlets such as Facebook and actually Twitter. Facebook and Twitter sort of have an interesting relationship um, where if something's posted on Facebook, some people like to take what they're seeing on Facebook and then tweet it out to their, uh, their networks of friends. And we're seeing that Facebook and Twitter are absolutely critical um, parts of growing um, these communities online. We see the root not only um, uh, as a as a news and outlet uh, an outlet for news and commentary, but we see it as a place where we can truly engage our readers um, around um, these issues and build community. Um, in the left, yes. I'm sorry um, about Facebook and Twitter. Are you do you have your own Facebook pages where you're pushing stuff out from, or do you just mean people liking stories? <coughs> so we have both. Uh -huh. um, what we found on the site, we actually have a we have fan a fan page for the root page itself, or for the root site itself. We also have fan pages for certain uh, certain articles that we send out, uh, or a certain series that we do. For example, every year we do um, a piece called the Route 100, where we identify the, the up and coming, the top one, up 100 up and coming leaders in the African American community under the age of 45. We have an entire uh, Facebook page for those individuals, and people come and like those, and they talk about the, the different people. They also nominate people each year, so we use that as an, a place to engage our readers. Um, we also encourage all of our writers to have Facebook pages and Twitter accounts. We were just speaking right before the session began um, on the importance of having, uh, uh, utilizing Twitter in building audience. Um, almost every writer that we have brings an audience to the root. So if you think about this in terms of community, not only are we producing our own content, but all of our writers as they, as they sort of work with us are producing their own content on Twitter they're engaging audiences and building audiences, and they bring those audiences back to the root. So there's sort of this symbiotic kind of relationship where we're helping to give them platform, and they're helping to give us exposure of our content. Um, I can't express enough uh, the, the importance of engaging or utilizing those two vehicles um, to really build <coughs> audience and to, um, and to engage readers. Um, the other thing that we've seen is the um, we've we've had huge success with podcasting. I'm not sure how much are any of you engaged in podcasting in the room. Do any of you do it on a regular basis? Okay, we've seen a great um, uh, sort of uh, following uh, behind from our our podcast. Again, we're offering in this um, community different perspectives on what's going on in the daily news. So you see, you know, most of our readers read the Huffington Post. They read the New York Times, they read the Washington Post, um, and they read The Root. So they're looking at general media, and then they're coming back, and they're looking for specific media. So when we're offering podcasts, um, and they're, they're getting their take they're not able to see on some of the general media, um, the general um, 
media platforms, uh, and they're also getting an opportunity to engage again with our writers. Yes. I mean, that's a pretty upscale media list. I mean, yes. Who, who's your audience? What's, what, you know, who's out there? Sure. Um, our audience is primarily um, highly educated. Most of our readers have at least a college degree. Um, a, about 30% of our audience also has a graduate degree which is pretty significant in the African-American community. How'd you find that out? Um, we, d we use um, surveys to, to gauge sort of what our audience demographics um, look like. As well, we use, um, there are systems such as Comscore. I don't know how familiar you all are with, the, are with Comscore, but Comscore is an internet measurement tool um, that you actually have to pay for to get access to. But it's sort of the, the one measurement tool that everyone uses. Nielsen and Comscore are the two measurement tools that are used to gauge audience. Um, and so they're highly educated and actually highly affluent. That's something different that we also bring to the community. Um, again, we're very focused on who our, who our audience is and how we engage this, this group of individuals. So um, in the African-American media space, we actually provide, um, we are these number one site when it comes to reaching this group of, of individuals. And as we grow, one of my challenges over the next couple of years is to figure out how do we continue to grow this community. We have a highly targeted, highly educated, highly affluent community. And if I want to grow significantly, um, we're going to have to sort of go beyond that demographic. We're going to have to branch out a little bit further to people that perhaps may not have college degrees, for example, or may not be as affluent. And um, we sort of weigh the pros and cons of doing that on a daily basis. One of the benefits of being able to, to have a very hi a highly targeted audience and to know exactly who that audience is, um, is the sort of business behind the content. We're able to sell at a higher rate, a higher premium rate. Um, to advertisers because we actually have this premium audience. Um, advertisers have a very difficult time trying to find this audience online. So since we are able to provide sort of direct communications, um, we have Barbados here right now, but starting, you know, most of those sort of the premier sort of top Fortune 500 co companies um, advertise on the route. So you'll see everything from Starbucks to Target to um, uh, Ford and all the, uh, all the automotive companies um, uh, advertise on us. And so um, we, have, we have really been able to sort of turn this audience into a, uh, an attractive um, place or turn the audience into a tr an attractive group for advertisers to reach. Um, so anyway, this is just sort of an overview on the route, um, a very brief touch on what we do in terms of social media, primarily um, utilizing, as I mentioned, Facebook, Twitter, um, podcasting to reach our audience. And I'd love to sort of open up for questions. Let me ask a, a couple of questions sure. first. Do you pay your contributors? We do. You pay them. So you recruit them, in other words, we or do. they apply to you? So one of the beautiful things about the route is that we get, we have both. There are some individuals that we actually recruit, people that we would like to see on the site, um, voices that we're familiar with that we think provide a, a unique perspective in the marketplace that we do recruit. But for the most part, we have people that are actually, that are sending in material <coughs> and pitches day in and day out. And do you, does it function more like an op-ed page or are they on salary? Um, more like an op-ed page. So there's a fee per, <coughs> per, per piece. Per, per piece yes, so there are some exceptions to that, but for the most part. And how, how do you work the uh, editing functions, both of the pieces and the commentaries and comments that people make? Um, in terms of, I'm sorry. How do you edit? Uh, we, have, we have a team of editors on staff 
um, that, that actually um, edit the pieces as they come in, and they decide whether or not they're going to put the pieces up. So they, we have three editors that are full-time looking at the content that's coming out in and deciding what needs what should go up. And how do you, do you edit your comment sections of the... So comments are tricky. I don't know how many. Do, are, do any of you have your own sites? And do you have comments on your sites? OK, so you know. Um, comments are quite tricky. Um, we have had times where we have moderated our comments, but it is it does require a full-time person. And because we're still a very small staff, we sort of chime in. We have added a tool on our comments that allow our readers to flag when there's something wrong mm -hmm. with, the, uh, with the comment or if, they, you know, if there's something offensive. And typically that surfaces up to our editors and they can go back in and edit. So you basically count on your readers to sort of say something's wrong here. We do. As we grow, we probably will, will um, mm. hire someone full-time to monitor those. As you can imagine, we're dealing with issues around race um, and our, and our, uh, in our society. And the comments can get, I'll just say, quite lively, mm. um, to be kind. <laughs> Are you a for-profit? We are for profit. And are you profitable? We are not profitable yet. We are in a, we're going into our third year. This is our third year this year. And uh, knock on wood, we will be profitable in within the next, uh, I'd say, next 14 to 16 months. Mm. So how do you compare? Are you familiar with Global Post? With Global Post? Yes. You know what Global Post I, is? I know, yes. I don't know what It's an international, sure. it, but it's not exactly the same thing. But it's also is a for-profit enterprise. I mean, I guess my question in part is, they are a news gathering institution. They consider right. themselves to be news gathering. My sense from from what you described is that the root is a commentary vehicle, more like the Huffington Post, except you pay. Right. So, uh, is there a, a is there a, a difference from your perspective in your responsibility for the content that appears on your site? Yes. I mean, well, I will say this. We are primarily a comment. We primarily offer commentary. We do provide some news. Again, as we continue to grow, we're providing more and more news. Um, but in terms of commentary, um, yes, we, see, we actually do not believe that there's a monolithic voice in the African-American community. We see, it's, we see it being, it's very important for us to offer um, views from both, sort of, both camps, if you will. Um, we have depending on what day we get knocked sometimes for being too far to the right. Other times we get knocked for being too far to the left. But we really believe that, at least in this space, at this day and time, that it's, it's important to offer sort of a range of perspectives. And do you have any sort of sense of responsibility for the accuracy of the commentary? I mean, the, the assertions and that sort of thing, is there a mechanism for correcting things that are simply not necessarily so. Right. So our managing editors spend quite a bit of time looking over each piece and ensuring that the the um, the content is accurate. And if we if we miss, if there are any, you know, there have been moments where we have not caught sort of everything, and um, we've had situations where our readers will actually let us know immediately, at which time we certainly address those issues. I notice you have people like Ellis Coase, yes. you know. He's a distinguished journalist. Yes. Are many of your contributors journalists? Most of our, are. Most of, yes. Yes. Are they working for other places? Sometimes. As well? Yes, sometimes. And Although that's not a problem? Not a problem for us, no. You know, what's, what's interesting, you actually bring up a very interesting point. What, what's interesting for us is that most of these writers 
um, are writing for sort of mass media organizations, and they feel that the root is a place where they can come and they can say things that they may not may not be able to say in their publication. And we're seeing that time, sort of time and time again. Um, we had um, Gwen Eiffel, interestingly enough, wrote her um, piece on Tim Russert when Tim Russert passed, and she came to the root and she said, "I want to actually write it on the root." And the reason why she was talking about basically how Tim had such an incredible uh, impact and influence on black journalists. And she just thought that the root was the best place to, to actually share this piece. And we find this time and time again where, where these journalists are, you know, certainly do their sort of day-to-day -day jobs, but they have this sort of passion and this desire to address issues that they're not being able to address. In their um, in their work environments, and so <coughs> they come to us. Questions? Yes. Yes. Um, uh, just as I mean, you were talking about uh, launching just as as uh, as the Obama campaign yes. was going into sort of uh, uh, you know into into overdrive. Um, you know, just as the Bush administration was good for the uh, readership and the circulation of magazines on the left. And the Obama administration has done a lot for the viewership of Fox sure. News and other magazines on the right. I mean, how do you kind of see your uh, readership um, going through the fluctuations of the Obama administration and the midterm, the, the defeat of the Democrats and the midterm sure. elections and so on? So um, when you look at the African-American demographic and you look at sort of their perspectives on and, and viewpoints on what's going on in the country, Quite frankly, they're pretty stable. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, so they support Obama, and um, and we find that you know I think there is a, a recent um, study that was released by the Pew Center, I believe, that actually pointed to the fact that the majority of African Americans believe are optimistic about this country. They're mm -hmm. far more opt optimistic mm -hmm. than any other group in the entire country, mm -hmm. and um, we you know we find that the audience wants to engage um, and talk about things that are that are good that are going on mm -hmm. they'll you know they will address um, they want to address Obama when he makes a misstep mm -hmm. but for the most part they're extremely supportive and um, they want to see uh, media and read and engage in media that shows what he's doing well versus mm -hmm. knocking him all the time. They feel like the major <coughs> media sort of knocks them all the time and that if they want to see something positive that they have to go to other outlets. Mm -hmm. um, the root being one, although I will tell you, we there again, on any given day, depending, I, I, every time I pull up the site, I'm always like, I'm not sure what you're gonna see because they're, they're, you know, they're changing the content all the time. But um, on any given day, you may have someone that comes in and, um, and that writes you know, about how Obama is not fulfilling his promise. Um, to the African American community mm -hmm. or to the the nation at large. So, I'd be curious, and this might be an odd question to ask, given that you are a for profit and that obviously the end goal there is is the bottom line. But what are some of the other goals that you have for the publication, and how do you ensure that they occur? And the reason why I ask that is because I come from an advocacy perspective where we're trying to use social media and online tools to get something done. So we want people to engage with their Congress people or to do something. Is, do you see that as a goal as well, to get people to engage and to comment? And how are you measuring that? And what, what, how do you see that progressing? It's a very good question. Um, I will tell you, we are for profit. My, my day 
my day-to-day -day responsibility is ensuring that we actually get to that point of profitability. Um, however, I will tell you, I wake up every single morning excited about what we do on the route. Um, the reason why is because we're providing something that no one else is providing in this space right now. And um, we, you know, are the generation before um, this generation had publications like Jebony, uh, sorry, Jebony, goodness, Jet and Ebony, that's <laughs> new, <laughs> Jet and Ebony that they embraced. And I, I really believe that the root is providing sort of the voices for this generation that Jet and Ebony provided for the generation ahead. So that gets me excited. It gets me excited that we are able to provide platforms for these talented, bright minds to express their views and engage. Um, and in terms of, of, of advocacy, we have not taken on a specific issue per se. Um, however, again, it's one of the things that we sort of talk about sort of as we grow, are we going to tackle this issue of education? Is it going to be, um, are we going to tackle, tackle this issue of, um, of what's going on in our prison system? You know, we're not, we have, we've yet to, we, we hit these issues all the time, we've yet to identify sort of one that we're going to focus on um, day in and day out, but you'll probably see that over time where there's sort of one issue that we take on. But we do see this, we do have a great sense of responsibility. We set, we have all feel a great sense of responsibility to our community. Okay. Um, since you have such a strong marketing background, I'm interested in the marketing dilemma that you've identified because you really are highly targeted, as you described it, at a slice of a slice of yes. a slice of a slice. Yes. Um, and I was wondering what um, Don and Skip's vision was when they hired you and started out. Was it going to be that targeted? Um, what it is about your content that you think makes it that targeted? And more specifics about what you're going to have to do if you really want to broaden that. Does that mean you're going to become as entertainment as the Huffington Post? or what articulate that dilemma yes, and what that, it means. That is, that's our strategy meeting for every, every week. When Don and Skip hired me, um, they basically hired me because I had had experience doing this before. I helped launch a site called Black America Web um, for um, Tom Joyner. I'm not sure how familiar you all are with Tom, but Tom was syndic is a syndicated DJ. Syndic he was the number one DJ at the time in 180 markets. And I had an opportunity to launch a, an African-American site with him back in 2001. So I had experience in this market before. Um, and I found that um, because Tom was on air, um, on, on radio day in, day out, I found that there was a, um, a, a benefit for having multi a multi-platform kind of environment where you could offer web content as well as content on the radio. Right, so you got exposure to your audience from one of the two vehicles, and then advertisers would have an opportunity to advertise on both versus just one. And at the, in 2001, it was a great time to um, to offer this type of um, it, to to be able to offer both platforms, namely because the internet still it was still sort of in terms of news was still kind of get, getting its it, uh, getting its life kind of going, and African Americans weren't as engaged online as they are today. Um, we are, I'm trying to answer all of the questions mm -hmm. there, we are, um, we, we, we're going to have to make a decision soon. You know, how are we going to, how are we going to grow this? Are we going to continue just to focus on this particular audience? Um, or are we going to go broader? 
I actually don't have the answer to that now. Um, you will see, I mean, we do, um, one of the things I've, I've never been particularly proud of but have to recognize that is that, um, you know, we'll have all of these these stories on, you know, Brazil, and we'll have stories on Egypt, and we'll have all these kinds of stories, all the things that are going on in the administration, and then we'll put up a story about Serena, and, you know, her, she'll be in a, a suit, and all of a sudden, like, that's the biggest story on the, <laughs> the route, and every single time that happens, I just like, take a deep breath, like, what in the world are we, what's the, you know, sort of the world coming to? Um, so we have to, you know, we have to find a way that we can engage our readers, we can get them to come back on a daily basis. Sometimes that's done, as the Huffington Post has proven, sometimes that's done um, with inter more entertainment-focused content. Um, but we will always maintain that it is, you know, this, this level of, um, of a desire to provide good quality <coughs> content, smart, witty, thoughtful, you know, thought-provoking content um, in our in our media space. Well, um, hi, um, I'm running a site with a similar audience, but with a totally different demographic. It's okay. a hyperlocal site in Richmond, California, oh, yeah. that I run with students at the Graduate School of Journalism mm -hmm. at UC Berkeley, and it's, um, I mean, I'm really glad you're here because this is our big question: is building community, right? Um, and if you were looking at that audience, I don't know if you know Richmond, but I mean, people, if they, if they go to San Francisco, that's, that's an international journey uh, for, for <laughs> right, people of Richmond. Right. It's a very interesting place, got long histories, primarily African-American, uh, and we've had a lot of success, but we're trying to do that same thing of kind of rising up out of this. So what would you, if, if your task was Camden, New Jersey, Richmond, California, how, what kind of approach might you be looking at in terms of building community? Right. I mean, first you have to find the issues that are most important to the community, mm -hmm. right? So we're tackling the issues that are most important to our target audience, but whether it's Camden or Richmond, mm -hmm. looking at what are the issues most important to the audience, making sure that you're hitting them in a way that really connects with your audience. You can tell that through the comments. Right. You can tell that through the traffic, right. quite frankly. Mm -hmm. You can tell that by the other folks that pick you up and sort of in, 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 and engage you in their conversations. Mm -hmm. So I'd say, one, identifying the issues, and then two, um, ensuring that you have um, ways for people to engage beyond just the site. So I'll go back to Facebook, I'll go back to Twitter. Pose, posing questions, one of the things that we found to be extremely effective is posing questions to our readers on Facebook. So instead of just posting an article, we don't just post, you know, um, Qaddafi and Aristide um, dumped by America. We don't. We don't just post the article. We actually go in and we ask people what they think, or ask some type of provocative question that in, that encourages the per somebody who's looking on Facebook that may or may not be a friend. They may be a friend of a friend that just sort of sees it posted up in, in, on someone's si on page um, to actually engage and begin commenting. Um, we found that to be uh, effective. Um, it's engaging the people that are reading your site to tweet. Mm -hmm. um, we do things um, like we uh, occasionally we have contests, and we'll have people. Um, we do a number of different things. Sometimes it's just a contest where people have to submit their thoughts on um, a particular issue, and we see who can generate the most conversation on their face respective Facebook pages or through Twitter. 
and whoever sort of engages the most conversation may win some some prize. Uh, right now, we have an iPad two that's getting ready. To, we're getting ready to put up. We've so, done contests and they've been yeah, very successful. Yeah, it's contests are extremely successful. Mm -hmm. these, these are contests. Who <coughs> reader contest, uh, content provider contest. Um, you know, a recipe contest, best recipe. Yeah. I mean, to the readers. To I mean, submit. These are readers submitting. Yes, readers submitting. Yes. Yes. And um, what you'll frequently find is people want. I mean, if it's the if the prize is good enough, folks will do all sorts of things. So um, we see our traffic rise typically when we do those types of contests. We had a follow up question down here. Did, did you not? Yeah, but it's it's off track. Now. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I was wondering for the opinion pieces which seems to be most of your content, did you make, is, are they presented as these opinions are solely represent the writer or do they represent the root? They and how did you make the decision? Right. Um, this is actually another question that we're dealing with right now. Um, they primarily represent <coughs> the writers. However, our readers see them as representing the root. Mm -hmm. So we're having to figure out sort of how do we begin to create a voice of the root while still sort of providing um, our readers to see sort of both sides of a story. Um, so um, we've yet to, I'd say, nail the, the answer to that and how to do that properly. But we're going through a redesign on the site right now where we think it will be easier for us to showcase left and right and to, and to be able to show that these are people's perspectives rather than the way we are, the way we're designed right now. If you look at the site, um, how do I roll? Am I missing? Do you all see the missing mouse cursor? Whoever sees the arrow first gets a prize. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what not happened. Not an iPad too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask about this. How many site designs have you been through? So we're getting ready to launch our third. Oh, there we go. Okay. So. So one of the good things about this particular layout is that it allows you to see content that, that we probably ran a couple of days ago. So we go all the way down the page. If someone doesn't come into the site on a daily basis, they'll st they're still able to see the content that we surfaced. The problem is, is that um, it does um, sort of create this uh, illusion to the reader that we are, these are just our viewpoints. Mm -hmm. And that we're not showing, because the way we're displaying them, we're not showing that they, we're ha we have a uh, story on the right and a story on the left. So a reader can get kind of confused when they go through the site right now. They're like, wait a minute, I just read a, site, I read a piece on um, why I should be supporting X, and now it's saying I shouldn't be supporting X. And they're kind of confused on what to do. So again, design is extremely important in terms of building community and also expressing um, or positioning yourself in the marketplace. So again, as we're growing, we uh, you will see um, in about eight weeks, you'll see a completely different design that I'm extremely excited about um, that will allow us to showcase much more uh, more content and also display it in a way that makes it clearer to the reader. Yes, uh, I found this very interesting and I'm going to be a viewer on a daily basis. Thank you. So you're community will be expanded. Thank you. But I, one reason for my interest is that I'm working on voting. And I'm very <coughs> curious to know um, what are the politics beyond support for Obama of your highly specialized and affluent uh, community? And how great 
does the community or how far does the community extend into other sectors of the African American experience? Um, are you think are you speaking specifically sort of in terms of sort of Democrat and Republican? Liberal, or, conservative, liberal, progressive. Sure. I, I have a belief, uh, and maybe I'm totally wrong, that issues of economic redistribution and equality are extremely important. Yes. And I just wonder how your um, route uh, positions itself positions on itself. these issues. I'll tell also you. Also with women's politics as right. well. We actually, um, I'll take the, the last question first. Um, we have very strong um, writers that, that, that write about feminism, um, specifically in the African American community. And there's some of the pieces I'm proudest, sort of proudest of. They're very, very well done. Um, Mal Marjorie Balburn, I mentioned her a couple of times in my initial remarks, um, has written phenomenal pieces. If you just um, Google The Root and Marjorie Balburn, um, you'll see just a host of, 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 of pieces from her that are excellent on this particular topic. Um, with regard to um, the politics um, of the site, uh, quite frankly, we, we, we really do run sort of the, the gamut. Um, our writers, if, if, if there are writers in the space that feel that we're not being, that we're not sort of um, paying enough tribute to a particular viewpoint, they will write a piece and we will often uh, run the piece just to show the different viewpoint. Um, so I'd say the majority of our audience, based on the comments and what we can, what we can gauge from um, our social media outlets and the comments on the site, the majority of our audience is pretty liberal, but we definitely have a very, very vocal conservative um, contingent that, that comes on regularly, regularly um, to voice their opinions. And we do run a couple of sites. I wish we have some great news but I am not, it is not, the deal is not signed, so I'm not able to share it. I actually thought I would be able to share it with you all today as, um, and sort of break the news. But I will just say we have some, we have a, um, some cons a conservative writer that will be writing for us very soon that is, um, that's very high profile, that will sort of provide a different perspective on the route on a regular basis. Um, yes. I just had a question about the younger generation and sustainability of your audience going forward. So, um, what does your cousin think of it? Um, or was he nephew? Yes, yeah, my cousin. <laughs> no, my actually, it's a young, young, young cousin. Right, right. So yes. I'm just interested in our young people because it, it actually looks quite conservative, like from the point of view of young people looking at social media and wondering. And it actually doesn't have a lot of the kind of gadgets that you can get on social media right. sites. Now, so I'm wondering what what kind of reaction you're getting from the younger. Oh, we just that actually. Yeah. So, so we'll, there are a couple. There are a couple of things that we see. There are a couple of things that we that we that we see. Um, there is a significant difference in the African American community, specifically in the generations right. and how they view the world, right? Because of their life experience, their day to day sort of life experience in this country. So, um, we primarily target sort of the twenty five to forty five year old age segment. That is our core demographic. Um, however. I realize that you know as t as time progresses, that group will age, and that we have to continue to bring in people on the in the sort of younger demographic and bring them into the fold. So we have to engage them with the tools that you're you're uh, you're talking about. Um, at the moment, we don't have video on the homes on the homepage. Mm -hmm. um, you'll see that in about eight weeks, and we're we're taking we're actually looking at all the things that really work well in terms of engagement, in terms of uh, multimedia, the buttons, the 
you know, all the things that you can do. You'll see Twitter feeds that will be running on the site. There are all kinds of things that are that you will um, you will soon see. And it's because we want to make sure that we're engaging our audience and we don't look. I mean, we're pretty static here. Mm. Um, we saw ourselves as a magazine and we, you know, we're making sure that we were producing all this great content. The fact of the matter is some of the younger audiences really want to engage more. So. Um, I have a question that uh, I'm a fan of the TJMS uh, morning show podcast on TYLD, and I've gone to the Black America webpage. Yes. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about two questions. One is, is that now profitable? And two is, if you could talk about the evolution of these two sites and compare and contrast them. Sure. Um, I will say two things. Uh, yes, um, t uh, the Black America web is now profitable. Um, I knock on wood. I try. I try to make sure that I, I leave. The company at a profitable state um, <laughs> before I go, um, and the difference there, just for the rest of the room, I mentioned before that Tom Joyner Morning Show is the um, is a is a syndicated uh, morning show across the country, and um, it's slightly different in terms of how the content is um, is, is is created. Um, most of our content is written by uh, their original pieces written by our, our writers, our contributors. Um, we have some aggregation. You'll probably see more and more aggregation from other sites as we continue to grow. Um, the, the Black America website has more sort of AP stories. So they'll, they'll just um, post the AP stories. Um, they have a little bit of aggregation, not very much, and they have a few contributors. So we are, our breadth of con con uh, contributors is, is far greater than Black America Web's. Um, but again, they have the outlet of having um, of having sort of a, a mouthpiece on a day to yeah on a day to day basis basis on radio. Um, that said, we continue to actually uh, perform better. We actually have more monthly unique visitors than than Black America Web, and that is because quite interestingly, um, we're not only read by African Americans. Um, the co content that we're producing on a daily basis is picked up by broader media, as I mentioned, and we have a sizable non-black community um, that reads and engages on, on our site on a daily basis. Do you have many contributors who are not African-American? Not many. Most of our contributors are African-American. Occasionally, we've, we've, um, we've had pieces from non-African-American writers, mm -hmm. and I, we would certainly welcome them, but most of the, con the, the content that's coming in are mm -hmm. from African-American Would you talk a little bit more about the specific techniques that you use to build audience when you have, for instance, a story that you like, how do you go about projecting that in a way that will bring people to you, expand the audience, attract attention? How do you identify the people you want it to reach, uh, and how do you go about doing that? Right. Um, I'll speak in two, in two different areas. Um, one is very tactical, um, and that is how we write headlines and how we're linking within articles. I'm not sure. Are you are you all are you all familiar with the it's sort of the importance of SEO and linking to other sites, et cetera? Right. So um, that is extremely important on a day to day basis. It is the um, the simplest thing that we can do, the easiest thing to do, um, but it is, it is the most important thing for us to do on a day to day basis. You're talking about related links, like thinking about well, not only related links, but but exactly what. What, how, what the, um, the title says, the words in the title, right. the words in the subhead, all of those types of things um, are extremely important on how Google crawls um, the web and picking up your sites and having those surface higher on the sites. 
And if you're not familiar with SEO, I would highly encourage you just to do, you can do quick Google searches on SEO. What? SEO? SEO, sorry, search engine optimization. Oh, yeah, right. Right, search engine optimization. It is by far one of the most important things that you can do in terms of just grow, getting exposure for your pieces. Understanding how that's used, understanding how to tag your stories in a way that gets that gets you, you, know, you picked up by, um, by these search engines. And um, the Huffington Post is probably the best at it. Um, are there, do they have people who are particular specialists? Yes. Artists at SEO? Yes. In a, in a kind of a, yes. of an art, I mean an it, artistic. It is absolutely an art. And mm -hmm. yes, they, they have full-time people that are dedicated to um, ensuring that these stories, the titles, the language, the, how many links are going out, out of the article, all of those things are, um, are optimized for these search engines. But just to go back to Sandy's, to one of Sandy's questions about the Huffington Post, I mean, how <coughs> soon is it before that, uh, you know, a site like the Huffington Post or the Daily Beast, uh, you know, is doing 10 best bikini bodies, uh, right. which are features of both of these, you know, sites that offer a lot of serious content as well. And how do you resist that kind of, uh, that pull? It's a, it is a conversation we, we have um, all the time. Um, it is a, it is a, it's, it's tough. It quite, I mean, I can't say it any other way. It's quite tough um, because the, those are the pieces that frequently drive the eyeballs. Mm -hmm. And so we try to find the balance between sort of the entertainment type um, con uh, typed content um, and sort of the more newsy content. I will say this, when there's something that's going on in the news that is sort of gossipy, um, we frequently will take a look at it and figure out, is there a root angle to this story? So we're not just gonna paste the bikini bot up, or maybe it's Beyonce, if Beyonce's done something, we're not just gonna talk about Beyonce and her latest hit. We're most likely going to look at Beyonce and find out how much has she contributed or how much has she generated in terms of revenue in the music business. How much, you know, what what influences has she had on, um, you know, on different uh, 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 music, on music, on uh, the economics of the business, those types of things. So we're going to look at it in a different way. So we may have the same person that's that's trending, if you will, but we're going to be looking at the that that person or that topic in a way that's different. Was there a Charlie Sheen story for that? So, you know, it's funny. We actually did have some Charlie Sheen stories. And, and, and we have a piece on the site where we aggregate comments from all of our readers. That's another thing. Sorry, in terms of you had asked ways to engage our audience. What we do is we, on a, on a daily basis, we actually look at um, the top comments, like things that either make us laugh or that are extremely thought-provoking. And we aggregate those comments into a piece um, on the site. So the readers can come back and they can see themselves and an actual article, if you will, on the site. And one of the pieces um, we had, uh, one of the commenters said something, um, I think Charlie Sheen was on his way to Haiti, and uh, and the uh, the commenter said, hasn't Haiti suffered enough? <laughs> so the, the things that sort of make you laugh, um, and, and, and again, they're engaging our readers, um, and, and you know, we're doing it in a way that just sort of feels right for us. Is there a, well, would you talk about the name of the site? Sure. Uh, roots, of course, was a word that became, you know, in another generation identified with the black experience right. because of Alex Haley. Uh, why the, why the article? Why root? Why not roots? Why what? Well, actually, so we didn't do roots. 
um, namely because of what you just um, mentioned, um, because people immediately think of Alex Haley when you hear Roots. Either that or the, um, the, uh, the group, the music group, yeah, the band. Um, so neither of those were exactly what we were going to kind of going after. Um, we also have Skip Gates who's involved in this, and of course his, he is very focused um, uh, on a regular basis on genealogy mm -hmm. and its sort of roots, if you will, in the, in the, uh, the African-American community. And so um, we originally launched the site. The site had news and it had genealogy. And from I, I started to, yeah, your your face is all <laughs> well and I and I started at the site and I actually did the same thing I was like well um, you know let's try to focus on our core on a core competency our core competency here at the Washington Post company which is sort of news commentary let's focus on this and we'll come back to genealogy at a different point but we have an a an, an audience that is extremely interested in genealogy and extremely interested in finding how they connect with sort of the past as well as, um, you know, as, as, as well as their, their current communities. And so we liked it because it sort of tied that, it tied the community together, if you will. It showed sort of this, um, the, um, the link between the generation ahead of us and, the gen and sort of the current, gen sort of the younger generation. It showed, sort of showed the lineage um, between those two. It showed, um, um, uh, it had a tie to Skip, which he really liked. Um, and it did sort of uh, conjure up this image of something black. It may not be roots itself, but it sort of made you think that it could be something something that was um, targeted to the African-American community. So is, is the genealogy altogether all gone now? So the genealogy has been gone for about two and a half years. On April 15th, it will be back. So you know what? But our but our audience actually really loves. Mm -hmm. They love talking about family and how to how to how to find um, their you know ancestors. So um, we will we will have sort of newsy comment uh, sorry newsy uh, articles about how you can go about doing this and just tools to, to engage mm -hmm. um, the audience. Uh, just another question on outreach and building community. Yes. Um, have you ever done any non-digital outreach? Parties, branding, t-shirts, I mean, any thoughts about that? Absolutely, yes, 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 and yes. Um, we are, um, we continue to go into the market with events. Um, we have an event that we're a series right now called Young, Fabulous, and Female. It's actually um, for uh, African-American women. We're primarily talking about careers. Um, we were in Atlanta two weeks ago. We have never been, it was our first time in Atlanta. We, have, we don't have an office in Atlanta. We had 250 seats for the, for the event, and we had to close the reservation, the online reservation, 12, 12 hours after we opened it. So we were fully subscribed at that point. The audience is hungry. Um, we find this time and time again as we go into these markets. Mar again, markets that we don't have, we don't have a presence in, a physical presence in. But we're finding when we go into these markets and with these events, people are coming out, and they may not even they may not even know about the the, the they either may read the route or they may not know about the route specifically, but they're seeing it on Facebook. They're seeing someone tweet it out, and all of a sudden, um, they're coming to the events, and um, we've just had a phenomenal response. Um, from the audiences in these markets. So I highly recommend if you can figure out ways to do um, the events in an inexpensive way. I'm not right. sure how much how, how much money you have. Yeah, um, we, we've done one and it was it, it just it was very exciting and yeah. it's just but it's hard to do in my setting. But 
but there's something about getting off the digital space into yes. the real space that really is can be galvanizing, I think. Absolutely, yeah. we bring our writers mm -hmm. into communities and, right. and, and and sit them, you know, put them on panels, and people come and they talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. So they <laughs> really, they really enjoy um, the writers and really enjoy the one-on-one -on -one contact. Do you have any prospective plan for making this into an actual magazine? Um, is this the announcement? Give us a few more minutes. We'll get it out of here. <laughs> Um, at this point, I would say no. I mean, we are st we're still part of the Washington Post family, and of course, the core competency there, of course, is, is print. Um, and um, you know, could we do it at some point down the road? I, I, I we 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 get asked that all the time. So, um, could there be a day where we see a print? Well, given that this audience, you know, the the, the huge success of of Ebony, right, Jet, right, that's uh, that seems. You would have a, a terrific potential. There. Right, right. Well, I'll make sure when we, if we get to that point, I'll make sure to come back. Yes, Sandy. Um, we mentioned several other sites um, that you're either in competition with or yes. that you like elements of, and you haven't mentioned another one in the family, um, Slate. And I'm wondering how you compare yourself to Slate and whether you feel competitive with them and. Um, we are absolutely part of the family. Um, they are. Um, uh, we work together. We're all in the same office. Um, so I do, don't. We don't feel a level of competition. We actually um, sort of help one another out. They're always sort of giving us tips on what works in the, you know, or, or, or what works on their site, um, and vice versa. Um, they've found some things that all, all of a sudden kind of work for the root. They actually start using them on Slate too. Our audiences are different. Um, you know, we again are targeting this highly um, educated, affluent African American audience, and the um, the audience of the slate is not um, right. They're not as targeted, but right. the, and they right. are profitable now, aren't they? Um, they are. Yeah, they actually are. They are profitable, but um, they um, uh, you know we're a few years behind them. We're yep. you know just turning. We just turned three, so um, we still we still have a ways to go. I think they're about. I should know this off the top of my head. I want to say they're maybe like 15 years old. They're 13, 13 or 15 years old. Thank you, Donna, for coming. Absolutely. Thank you.